Wow, that was awesome. What a great time of praise and worship this morning. Would you do something for me? Would you appreciate our worship team this morning? They... uh, I know they don't do it for our appreciation. They do it because they all genuinely love to worship the Lord themselves. But it blesses me every week, and they're so very faithful to practice and be here to encourage us with the opportunity to worship. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be here. It's a good place to be on a Thursday morning praising God and have an opportunity to um, just steal your heart and worship, isn't it? It's been beautiful outside, so it's been a little bit hard to be indoors this week, but it's not hard for me to be here with you and the Word of God, and I appreciate that you are all here again this week, our faithful remnant, our faithful remnant. Um, Now, I don't know how many of you that um, have families, have children that have had uh, movie nights over the years as kind of with your family, just, um, okay, we're going to pop the popcorn and we're going to gather the kids and we're all going to do something together to watch a movie. Well, as you can imagine, um, in my household of men with my three boys, my husband, and me being the only drop of estrogen in the entire house, it was always difficult to pick a movie that all of us wanted to see. You see, the four of them um, always wanted to watch something that had die in the title, you know. (laughs) Die hard, die next week, die hard with a vengeance, die, or something along that line, you know, something Terminator, Terminator again, Terminator, you know, that sort of thing. It had to be... um, fast cars or blowing things up or something with a lot of adrenaline and a lot of excitement. And I was more the um, pride and prejudice, (laughs) sense and sensibility genre. So trying to put all that together was difficult. But you know what absolutely has driven particularly my boys crazy over the years is the fact that I really want to know the end of a movie before I watch it. Now, I don't need to know the details. I just kind of want to know that it has a redeeming ending of some sort, that it has a little bit of a happy ending. You know, the boy gets the girl, or um, the dad really does come home from the war that we've been watching being fought for two hours. You know, I just want to leave there with um, a little bit uplifted, I think I have enough adrenaline in my life. I don't know about you, but I have enough adrenaline in my life. And the truth is, I know so many real sad stories that I don't want to pay $10 to go and have somebody else's real sad story um, depress me. And I walk out to my car thinking, oh, great, I ate popcorn I shouldn't have eaten. And I paid paid $10, and now I um, I feel crummy. I can do that every day for free simply by watching the news. And that's true. That's true. I want a happy ending. I want to know that at the end of the day, the sun is going to be shining and life is going to be good. And you know, as we finish, as we read these three chapters this week, I think somewhere in there, God knows Isaiah and Israel feel the same way. Enough with the suffering and the judgment and the idols. And 
We just want to know there's a happy ending because in these three chapters we have God telling Israel the end of their story. The end of their story. And as you already know, if you did your homework, you were in your small group, it is not just a happy ending. It's a perfect ending. It is a perfect ending written by a perfect God. So turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 60. And as you're doing that, I want to just remind you of our end times timeline. We passed uh, one out. I think when Lynn was teaching, you may have a chart somewhere, but let me just run through it real quickly. At the end of the church age, which is where we are right now, Jesus is going to come for the church. In other words, all believers are going to be raptured by Jesus at that time. If you're alive, you're going to meet him in the air. If you're dead, you're going to be resurrected and you're going to go with Jesus. Then there's going to be a seven-year period of great tribulation for everyone that's left on the earth. And it's going to culminate in the Battle of Armageddon. Now, this period of tribulation and world war is stopped short of totally destroying the earth and everyone in it only by the second coming of Christ. When Jesus comes for the second time, he's going to bring judgment for the wicked and deliverance for all of the righteous. The second coming of Jesus is what ends the tribulation period and ushers in what we call the millennial kingdom, which is the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. Now, the millennial kingdom is going to be inhabited, of course, by Christ himself, but it's also going to be inhabited only by those who have faith in Christ. It's going to be inhabited by the believers that were raptured um, with Jesus. It's going to be inhabited by believers who have become believers during the tribulation period, whether they were martyred during that time or whether they're still alive when Christ comes back. And that includes the remnant Israel. There is going to be a remnant um, of the Jewish nation that becomes believers during the uh, tribulation period. And they are going to be ushered into the millennial kingdom. Another interesting fact is the Old Testament saints are going to be resurrected and they're going to come into the millennial kingdom too. Now there's a little bit of controversy about whether they're going to be resurrected um, at the rapture or at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, but they will be raptured and the Old Testament saints are going to be in the millennial kingdom. We are going to be able to um, see King David in person and to look at every other Old Testament saints. Uh, Everyone is going to live in the millennial kingdom for a thousand years, and that is the backdrop for our three chapters today. That's what we're talking about. So let's read verses 1 through 3 in chapter 60 together. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and the thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now, we know from reading the last 59 chapters that Israel was in a really dark place. There was no light when Isaiah wrote this. And when these words come to fulfillment, the whole world will have been in a dark place because they will have just finished the seven-year tribulation period of persecution. 
that God's glory, rather than his discipline, is now going to be showered on Israel in the millennial kingdom. It's the end of God's discipline in their history and the beginning of God's glory. The metaphor that Isaiah uses here is just like the light of the rising sun. God's glory is going to rise on Israel, much like the sun rises on our earth every morning. You know, the earth doesn't have any light of its own to cast in our lives. It's necessary for the sun to rise and cast light on the earth. God's glory is going to rise on Israel when he ushers her into the millennial kingdom, and she's going to shine with a glory that is not her own. You know, previously in Isaiah, we learned that God is not going to be generous with his glory. Uh, look on your verse sheet, Isaiah 42, 8. It says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. And Isaiah 48, 11 says, for my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. For God's own sake, he's not going to be generous with his glory except with the nation Israel in the millennial kingdom. God will share his glory with his people through his servant, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6 on your verse sheet. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You know, God had given light to his people Israel in the past. He led Israel out of darkness in Egypt, out of slavery. And he did that, if you remember, by the light of a pillar of fire by day. He also had led them out of captivity in Babylon and sent them back to Jerusalem where his light would dwell once more in the temple at Jerusalem. It had also been a time of darkness and a time of silence in the 400 years uh, before Jesus appeared at the dawning of a new day for Israel, the first time that he came. But it's now. All of those times had been light for Israel, but it's now at the second coming of Jesus in the millennial kingdom that the light of God's glory is going to fall on Israel forever, and they're going to see the fulfillment of these prophecies of living in the light of God's glory. Let's read a few more verses, verses 4 through 9. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To the riches, to you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kedar's flocks will be gathered to you and the rams of Nebaioth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar and I will adorn my glorious temple. Who are these that fly along the clouds like doves in the nest? Surely the islands look to me. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your sons from afar with their silver and gold to honor the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Okay, I'm going to confess another media issue in my life. In addition to wanting to know whether a movie ends, 
Well, there's a TV show that I like to watch before bed every night, and I'm not much of a TV watcher, but um, this show is complete mind candy. It means that, you know, I don't, there's no adrenaline, I don't have to think, I can just watch it and enjoy it. And some of you may watch it too. It's called House Hunters International. Have you watched that? You know, it drives my husband insane. He hates it. You know, he goes to bed every time it comes on. But, um, It's about people that are living overseas and they're trying to find a house or rent an apartment. So you get a great light, a look at other cultures and how they live and um, what the costs around the world are. It's totally mind candy, as I said. Well, I recently saw this one just a couple of weeks ago about a young lady in Israel. She was trying to purchase an apartment in Tel Aviv. And um, guess what all of those apartments in Israel had in them, including a kitchen. They would go around and look and they would have a kitchen and a bathroom and a little dining room and a small missile shelter that was still clad. Every single apartment that she looked at, they would say, here's the bathroom, here's the kitchen, here's the missile shelter. And she would say, oh, good size. Modern day Israel lives constantly in fear of the threat of missile strikes and bombings by all its neighbors. Nothing has changed for Israel. Its neighbors hate them and they want their destruction. It would be like us living in Fort Worth thinking that any moment Dallas is going to have missile strikes um, that are going to land in the midst of our city and we would all have to go to the missile shelter. But in these verses right here that Isaiah gives us, we learn that Israel's future in the millennial kingdom is so very different than what its past has ever been. In the millennial kingdom, not only will the riches of the nations be brought to them, the nations and their leaders are going to gather up if, um, in their country if there are believing remnant in their country, they're going to gather them up and usher them back to um, Israel themselves. It would be like um, in the Millennial Kingdom, us putting the remnant of the nation of Israel on Air Force One and making sure that they are taken back to the nation of Israel in style. And on Air Force One would be all the gold at Fort Knox that we could get on the plane back to Israel. The remnant of Israel is going to be escorted home in honor and with wealth and reverence because they are God's people. And the rest of the redeemed people of the world finally recognize who they are. Now verse 5 tells us that this is not only going to delight the nation, it's going to surprise them. Because for centuries, nations have been trying to carry off their wealth, haven't they? Nations have been trying to disperse their people, to pick them up and carry them back um, to Assyria and Babylon to be their slaves. It is going to be a total surprise to Israel in the millennial kingdom when Air Force One lands and we are bringing back their people. Now, examples of the wealth that are lavished on Israel here are... um, Gold, incense, silver, their flocks and herds that are going to be used for offerings in the millennial temple. And you know, when the wise men came bearing gifts to the infant Jesus in Bethlehem, in light of these prophecies, it probably should have been a red flag to the leaders of the nation of Israel. 
that other nations were bringing them wealth. We know that it wasn't, but it should have been. But the gifts of the Magi at Bethlehem are actually small potatoes compared to what Isaiah predicts the world is going to lavish on Israel when Jesus comes the second time. And you know, Israel is going to rejoice over the gifts, but they are going to understand that these gifts are not really about anything they've done or what they deserve. They're going to understand that these gifts are to honor their God, to give glory to their Lord. In fact, that's what it says in verse 9, to honor, to the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. Now, some of these offerings that we see, the gold and the silver, uh, some of this wealth is going to be used as offerings in the Millennial Temple, and some of them are simply going to be to adorn the Millennial Temple so that it will be even surpass the splendor of Solomon's temple in his day. And in addition to the gifts that we see, uh, the prophet says here, and I loved this, he says that people as thick as clouds are going to flock to um, the promised land to see the nation of Israel. That's what he's talking about when he says, what are these that fly along like clouds? It's going to be the rest of us. It's going to be the redeemed Gentiles that can't wait to go to Israel and see this redeemed nation. You know, I know now, uh, in fact, I think there's another trip to Israel this summer. It's so fun and exciting to think about going to Israel and seeing where Jesus actually lived and walked and had his ministry. And the millennial kingdom, we're going to be going to Israel to see Jesus himself, to see uh, the redeemed of the Lord, to see the nation of Israel. And we're going to be doing it in flocks that look like clouds. What an incredible sight. No more bomb shelters for the people of Israel. Instead, it's going to be nothing but God's glory shining on them and in them so the redeemed of the world can see. And as a result, Israel is going to hold a position in the world that is greater than any they've ever known. In every realm of life, Israel is going to hold the foremost position in the world. Okay, let's read verses 10 through 13. Foreigners will rebuild your walls and their kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you, in favor I will show you compassion. Your gates are always stand open. They will never be shut day or night so that men may bring you the wealth of nations. Their kings let in triumphal procession. For the nation or kingdom that will not serve you will perish. It will be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the pine and the fir and the cypress together to adorn the place of my sanctuary, and I will glorify the place of my feet. So now, having previously worked to destroy Israel over the centuries, foreigners, Gentiles, are now going to work to rebuild Israel. Israel isn't simply going to do it themselves. All of us, the redeemed of the Lord, are going to go and begin to rebuild Israel's city. God has disciplined Israel in the past for their sins, but their future in the millennial kingdom is one of blessings through forgiveness. Isaiah sees here peaceful conditions for eternity for Israel, gates that never have to be closed ever again. Any nation that might try to rise up against Israel will be dealt with by God himself. They will perish. They will never exist again on the face of the earth. 
There's also a triumphal procession of kings in here bringing the wealth of the nation. The royalty of the world is going to bring the wealth of the nations. I saw a clip on Prince William and Kate Middleton this morning. They're all over the news, of course. And can you imagine years down the road if it's King William and he happens to make it through the tribulation and into the millennial kingdom, it will be King William that will come in a procession that is probably led by Jesus himself bringing the wealth of all of England to Israel. In verse 13, Isaiah talks about the fact that the Lord's temple will again be rebuilt in Jerusalem. In the millennial kingdom, not only will the wealth of the nations adorn it, as we talked about a few moments ago, but the fine wood of Lebanon will be brought for temple construction, making it a thing of great beauty and a sanctuary that is appropriate for the Lord their God in the midst of his people. And that, you may want to write this on your outline. The millennial temple is actually described in detail in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 47. My Bible even has a chart that shows it. So uh, it was very interesting to read. We don't have time to look at it. But if you want to go and learn more about the millennial t- temple, go to Ezekiel 40 and read about it. It's fascinating. Okay, let's read verses 15 and 16. Although you have been forsaken and hated, no one traveling through, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. You will drink the milk of the nations and be nursed at royal breasts. Then I will, you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, of, my, of the mighty one of Jacob. You know, Israel summarizes, uh, Isaiah summarizes Israel's past here. They have been hated and persecuted and isolated from other nations, but Isaiah predicts their future. They will be an object of joy and pride in the world. They're going to be sustained by the wealth of the world, just like a mother's milk sustains um, a baby. And God's point here, when he tells this uh, to Israel and when he accomplishes it, for Israel is that he wants her to know how extraordinary her God is. Her God can erase her past and give her a future. Her God can sustain her just like a mother's milk sustains a baby. You don't spend all of your history being persecuted as a people and hated in the world and then suddenly just wake up one day and be the foremost nation in all of the world unless your gracious God is involved. God is blessing Israel with the world's favor. And as Israel realizes that, that's what God is doing, how much their God loves them, how powerful their God is, that he has gone to such lengths to save them, it's going to change their perception of who their God is for eternity. I know a woman, I know many of you have probably had this experience too, who went through a difficult time with a child during his um, adolescence. He was rebellious and um, she went through all sorts of trials and tribulations with him, things that were hurtful and even hateful. But years later, when her child was grown, the child would come back home and every time he saw his mom, he would just weep and say, I can't believe you still love me. I can't believe what you did through, for me through all that time. I can't believe that even today you would allow me in your home after I hurt you so much. That's where Israel is in the millennial kingdom. 
learning the lesson of who God is, like the prodigal who comes back and is finally recognizing what God has done for them. And Isaiah reveals that God continues to bless them beyond measure, uh, beyond their wildest dreams, so that they will know how powerful and unique their God is. Sovereign of the nations, only their God could bring other nations to their feet. Sovereign of the world, only their God could bring the world's wealth to them. Okay, now skip down to verse 19, and let's finish chapter 60. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Then then will all your people be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. And in its time, I will do this swiftly. I don't know whether y'all remember, there was an old TV commercial that still sticks in my head every now and then. I hated it. It was a margarine commercial, and it would say, everything's better with blue bonnet on it, you know, and you just kind of, that would ring in your head all day long. I think Isaiah's jingle for Israel here is, everything's better in the millennial kingdom. There's not one single aspect of their life that is not going to be better. Israel will be safe and secure. Peace and righteousness would be evident in God's people. And God would bless them so that just like Abraham, even the least of them would become a mighty nation, more numerous than they can imagine. God would be their everlasting glory, outshining the sun and the moon and the stars. Everything is better in the millennial kingdom. But one of the best things about this utopia, Isaiah tells us in this verse 21, when he says, they will possess the land forever. Israel has finally arrived at the promised land where they're living in the light of God's glory and they never have to leave. They never have to leave. Okay, let's move on to chapter 61 together. Now, chapter 60 has given us uh, God's amazing future that uh, he has for Israel in the millennial kingdom. Now, the first three verses that we're going to read here in chapter 61 are actually the fifth servant song of Isaiah. You know, we've looked at the other servant songs with Deb and with Lynn. And these first three verses introduce the one who's going to bring God's glory to his people. He is the sun that lights the city. Let's read verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. 
Isaiah speaks in chapter 1. He changes voice again. He speaks in chapter 1 for the Messiah. And in verse 1, we actually see all three members of the Trinity. It's the Messiah speaking of being anointed by the sovereign Lord, which is God the Father, with the Holy Spirit. Now, Israel's first two kings, Saul and David, were also anointed. They were anointed by oil, with oil, by Samuel the prophet. And after being anointed with oil, um, Saul and David were both blessed by the Spirit's ministry in their lives as Israel's leader. First Samuel, on your verse sheet, 16:13 says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came on David in power. In these verses, we see Christ, the Messiah, similarly being anointed, not with the will, but by the Holy Spirit in verse 1. And the significance of that is he's going to serve as Israel's king. In fact, the Hebrew word for Messiah does mean the anointed one, and the word Christ is from the Greek word, which means to anoint. Um, He is anointed to serve by the Holy Spirit as Israel's king. Now, part of this passage, you know from your homework that um, Jesus read in the um, synagogue in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. Now, I printed that out on your verse sheet. We don't have time to read it all, but I thought you might want it as a reference. Jesus actually stopped in the middle of the sentence in verse 2 after he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He doesn't go on to say, and the day of God's vengeance. One of the things that was unknown to the Old Testament prophets was that the Messiah, the anointed one, would accomplish his ministry in two separate advents. Um, In other words, he was going to come once and accomplish part of the mission um, that he was sent to do, and then he was going to come a second time and complete the job. By stopping after the word favor in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is actually revealing that. He's revealing that at this time, he's come to accomplish the first part of his mission. His first advent, which for us in this room has already happened. It hadn't happened when Isaiah wrote these words. For us in this room, his first advent has already happened. He came to Bethlehem as a baby. He came to bring salvation. And as he read that passage in um, the Nazareth synagogue, that was what he was claiming. He was claiming to be the fulfillment of God's salvation for the nation of Israel. When he came the first time, Jesus' ministry was the mission of the anointed one that he gives here in um, up to the first part of uh, verse 2a, where he says he He came and he did announce the good news that he had come to mend hearts. He did come and liberate those who were enslaved by sin so that they could not break free. He did come to comfort those who were doomed by their sin, who were in such darkness by their sin that they considered themselves um, prisoners. In his first advent, Jesus did everything um, that Isaiah talks about up to... uh, verse 2a where he says he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. In his second advent, which is going to happen at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes the second time, Jesus is going to finish these verses because he's going to come and judge the nation for their sin and unbelief as he begins the millennial kingdom. 
It's that time that he's going to bring God's judgment on an unbelieving world, which is going to be the day of God's vengeance that he talks about in verse 2. He's also going to comfort Israel, which he talks about in verse 3 here, because Israel will have been through the darkest time in all of their history when he comes the second time. Those that have survived or been martyred during the millennial, uh, during the tribulation period. Ashes on one's head were a sign of mourning in the Old Testament time. And when he comes the second time, he's going to free Israel of ever having to mourn again and have ashes on their head and give her a crown of rejoicing. At the second advent of the Messiah, Israel is going to flourish in righteousness, as it talks about here in verse 3, until Isaiah says they're like great trees displaying the splendor of God's righteousness. Okay, let's read a couple more verses, verses 4 through 6. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. And you will feed on the wealth of nations. And in their riches you will boast. Again, these are just a few more great verses about Israel's future in the millennial kingdom. And all of this future is a result of the anointed one. The Messiah fulfilling his mission and fulfilling God's ancient promises to Israel. Those who had mourned in Israel because of the devastation and the destruction that had been Israel had endured are now going to see everything rebuilt. Earlier in Isaiah, God had predicted that the cities that opposed his people will never rise again. In fact, he said it a few verses ago when we were reading. But look on your verse sheet, um, Isaiah 34, 9. He talks about that, about the cities that will never rise again. Edom's streams will be turned into pitch, her dust into burning sulfur. Her land will become blazing pitch. It will not be quenched night or day. Its smoke will rise forever. For from generation to generation it will lie desolate and no one will ever pass through it again. But not so for Israel. That's God's proclamation for people that um, oppose his people. But for his people, there's going to be a day when not only are their cities rebuilt, but they're going to be rebuilt by us who now revere them instead of hate them. In fact, Israel is going to be so blessed by God through the ministry of the uh, Messiah that Gentiles are going to be doing their farming for them. It's going to be other nations that are going to come in and uh, plow their fields and take care of their herds. Now these, of course, will have been people that have opposed Israel in the past, but now Israel is not going to oppose them. In fact... Israel is going to be a blessing to the Gentiles that have been redeemed and are part of the millennial kingdom because they are going to now serve as priests for the Gentiles. They're going to now be um, fulfill the promise that was made back in Exodus that Israel would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The nation of Israel will be, will be ministering to us and will be interceding for us um, before the Lord our God, just like the priests did in the Old Testament. Um, Israel will finally become what God intended for them to be. Look on your verse sheet, Exodus 19, 6. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
You know, God spoke these words to Moses on Mount Sinai following their departure from Israel. And these words are finally realized because of the finished work of the Messiah himself on behalf of the nation of Israel. In the millennial kingdom, Israel is changed and they are who God set them apart to be, a holy nation and a kingdom of priests who know God and have access to him through the completed work of God's Messiah. Look at verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head, like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You know, in the final verses of chapter 61, righteousness and salvation are pictured here as clothes that are going to be worn by Israel, by God's people, that are going to characterize them as people that are now living by God's standards. We have a great wedding ministry here at Christ Chapel. You can imagine in a church that is this large, we have weddings almost every weekend, sometimes more than one, one down here and one in the small sanctuary. But you know, if you stop in at one of these weddings or you're a guest on the day of the weddings, what can you always tell? You always know who the bride is and who the groom are. They're set apart by the clothing that they wear from their guests and from people that are part of the wedding party. Israel, God's people, are also going to be easily identified by the righteousness and salvation that they are going to wear like garments. Okay, let's finish up with chapter 62. Let's read a few verses in chapter 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of the Lord. No longer will they call you deserted or, your, or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so your sons will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. You know, the Babylonian captivity is in front of them as Isaiah writes this. And I think that Isaiah's audience is going to have a difficult time believing all of these amazing things that we've just read in chapters 60 and 61 about um, their future. They're going to have a hard time thinking, are those ever going to come to pass? Um, But in these verses, we get a glimpse of God's tenacity when it comes to bringing about Uh, Israel's future. No, um, No matter how hard it is, God is never going to stop working on behalf of his future until his their future is realized and they are a people who are clothed in salvation and righteousness. Look at verse 1. It says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. I will not remain quiet. That is God speaking here. He is not going to be silent there, God, until the rest of the world sees the righteousness and the glory in the future he has for them. You know, in the ancient Near East times, 
uh, in the ancient Near East, names had significance that reflected God's char- that reflected their character. And God has already prepared a name for Israel's future, and He tells it to us right here. Jerusalem is going to have a new righteous character and a new righteous name. It's going to be Hephzibah and Beulah. Now, Hephzibah means my delight is in her, and Beulah means marriage. God has already chosen these names in preparation for the future that he is going to ensure that Israel has. He will not keep silent until he's reunited with his people forever in the promised land. Let's read uh, real quickly verses 6 through 9. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day and night. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest. And give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and his mighty arm, Never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, and never again will foreigners drink new wine for which you toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. You know, obviously God does not forget his promises. It's not possible in a perfect and holy God. But I love that he reassures Israel here in verse 6 that he will not forget their promises because he appoints um, watchmen, watchmen to call out to him day and night to remind him of the promises that he has given Israel for their future. That's going on today because Israel's future hasn't arrived yet. There are watchmen calling out to God day or night. Now, we don't know whether those are angels or whether are really uh, human intercessors that have been called by God for that function. And according to verse 7, these intercessors are watchmen that are calling out to God day and night and reminding him of... Um, his promises are not ever going to give the Lord rest as they wait for Israel's future. It also tells us that never again will they be robbed or invaded as they have in the past in verse 9. And in verse 9, God confirms his promise for the future with an oath that he has taken on the highest authority. God takes an oath on his own self. There is no oath that can ever be taken that is on higher authority and an oath that God takes himself can never be broken. God swears by his own authority here to Israel that may have trouble believing these promises will ever come to pass. He swears by his own authority to execute his will and carry out his plan for Israel by his own power. Now our last three verses are a grand finish to this three chapters. I loved them and let's read them right now. Pass through, pass, verse 10, pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stone, raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter Zion, see your Savior comes, see his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. 
God speaks here, and there is um, a sense as he speaks that he's already on his way. He's already started the journey to um, get Israel for their future. And so because of that, he wants Israel to be ready. Um, Have you ever called someone and said, hey, I'm on my way, I just left my house, wait for me out in front of your house? That's really what God is doing, is saying, I'm on my way, and he wants Israel to have a sense of urgency here. Um, You get that as Isaiah repeats himself. Pass through, pass through, build up. Israel should get ready for the future that God has for them. They should not just sit by and wait passively, but God wants them to take steps to build up their faith, to bolster their faith, to do whatever it takes to uh, remind themselves that not only has God made these promises to them, that he has sworn that they will be executed by his own oath. Um, Verse 11 tells us that God has made a proclamation to the ends of the earth, and that proclamation is that he will redeem his people. And that's not a private promise that he's made to Israel, that he's whispered in the back room so that he won't be embarrassed on the world stage if it doesn't happen. No, that's a proclamation that God has made to the entire world here. He will redeem his people because he has proclaimed it. You know, faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 11 as being certain of what we hope for and sure of what we do not see. Israel has not yet, when Isaiah wrote this, had not yet seen her Messiah. They had not yet seen the future that God has for them. But Isaiah, Israel has learned of God's, um, of the mission of the anointed one to bring salvation to them through Isaiah. And they have received God's promises. They have received God's promises of all these benefits that are going to accompany their salvation. Isaiah has given that to them. And even though they haven't held it in their hand yet, it's what they need to be sure of and certain of. Um, Their faith must carry them through now until it arrives and they are truly living in the light of God's glory. They haven't seen it, they haven't held it in their hand, but it's coming. And by faith, they need to live now like the light of God's glory is around the corner. You know, God wanted um, what he tells them in Isaiah to make a difference in how Israel lives out their faith in their life. And I think he wants what we know about our future to make a difference in our lives too. So let's close real quickly by just talking about three things that knowing about our future can make a difference in our life. You know, the truth is, as believers, our future is in the millennial kingdom with uh, the nation of Israel. All of these things that it talks about um, here in these chapters, we're going to be a part of that in the millennial kingdom. So... What difference does it make in our lives? Knowing our future in the millennial kingdom, knowing that we have a God that has prepared our future for us should give us insight into who God is. That's what God wanted for Israel as they learned about their future, is to understand more about their God. And I think he wants that for us too. We have a God 
that has made us promises and prepared our future just like he has for the nation Israel. And, you know, in the everyday life, sometimes we forget that our God is sovereign. Sometimes we forget that it is God that raises up kings and kingdoms as we watch the news every night. Sometimes we forget that we have a God that loves us so much. He's given us an eternal future when we're having um, a difficult day in this life. Um, Knowing about our eternal future needs to speak volumes to us about our God that make a difference in how we live today. Knowing about our eternal future needs to speak volumes to us about our God that change how we live our life today. Secondly, knowing about our future, I think, should do for us exactly what God wanted it to do for Israel, is to help us endure during our hard times, remembering that our suffering now, no matter how difficult, and many of us have difficult suffering in our life, is truly temporary. It is truly temporary. There is going to be an end to our suffering in this life, um, Praise God that suffering is not our eternal future. Um, Our eternal future is um, living in the light of God's glory alongside the nation Israel. I confess that I got through labor with all of my children contraction by contraction by thinking tomorrow is going to be a better day. Tomorrow is going to be a better day. Tomorrow I'll be holding that baby. Tomorrow I'll be drinking a Diet Coke and looking out the window. Tomorrow is going to be a better day. As believers, knowing that the millennial kingdom is our future, we can know that all our tomorrows are going to be perfect days in the millennial kingdom. And that's going to give us courage in hard times. Um, Don't forget your eternal future in the midst of your temporal suffering. And finally, just as God wanted Israel to have a sense of urgency about um, their future and be prepared for it by living out their faith, that's what we should do too. We should have an urgency about our future in living out our faith. The first advent of Jesus brought salvation to all of us in this room, I think. The second advent of Jesus, when he comes at the end of the tribulation, is going to bring judgment for a lot of people that are not in this room. A name probably came to your mind when I said that. It's a fact that we can't ignore. And how we should live out our faith in light of our future with Christ is be willing to talk about who he is with everyone we know that um, does not already know what we know. It's true that our future is in the everlasting light of God's glory and its coming but so is God's judgment to a lost world. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We love your word. We thank you for the blessing that it is in our lives. I just ask that um, each one of us would live today in light of our future, that we would have um, such encouragement in understanding who you are and that you've given us a future in um, getting through today's hard times because of that future being real and then wanting everyone around us to have the same future we do. Thank you for these women, for our time together, their love for you. Would you keep your hand of favor and blessing and mercy on all of them? I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.